Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ian Hamilton, recording in virtual reality, joined by my co-host, who is physically thousands of miles away from me. We've never met, but we're using Quest 2 headsets to come together into a studio that he built so we can discuss the latest VR news as we express ourselves using hand tracking and meta avatars. David Heaney, what do we have today? We have a lot to talk about today. There is Quest multitasking come out of Experimental. Horizon Worlds is testing, giving creators the ability to sell virtual items. There was code find in the Oculus drivers referencing an AirBridge USB Wi-Fi dongle. We have a report of Cambria's resolution, the type of display it will use, and a claim about the release window. Meta has canceled their F8 conference to focus on their AR VR conference connect. There were references found, according to Bloomberg, in the iOS 16 betas referencing Apple's headset, which is expected to launch sometime in the next year. And then Pico, the Chinese startup, which was bought by ByteDance, the company behind TikTok, is teasing a special event for tomorrow. And there's a lot of speculation around what might happen there. It could be very impactful for the VR market if some of that speculation is correct. Yeah, very, very busy week. Let's get right into that first subject here. Just mentioning that Meta's software for Quest updated to V29, which graduates multitasking out of experimental features. So that's some basic personal computing functionality now officially supported in standalone VR alongside a few other updates. And then meanwhile, Meta is testing tools to pay creators who are building in Horizon Worlds. And they revealed the rates that they're charging those creators, basically. So, uh, quote, from purchases people make in those worlds on Horizon Worlds, quote, subject to any relevant hardware platform fee and a Horizon Worlds fee. So in the case of a MetaQuest uh, platform fee, you've got 30% that goes to Meta, and then you've got an additional Horizon Worlds fee that's on top of that. Basically means if you've got a $1 purchase, that's $0.53 cents that's take home from for the creator with taxes also being lopped on top of that. Heaney, do you see people being able to make a living with that rate? It seems that eventually there is a potential that people can make a living in these sort of platforms. But I think we're still far too early for that to really be anyone's primary source of income. At this point, it's probably for the people who do this going to be something of a side hustle. And of course, this is already a thing that exists in platforms like Roblox and Rec Room. And, you know, there's even MMOs such as EVE Online where you can use the in-game currency to sell items in the real world. So this idea of being able to make money by selling virtual items or even performing tasks in virtual worlds isn't new. But in terms of bringing this to Meta's Horizon platform, the idea here is that they do want this to be a economy over time. Zuckerberg, every time he talks about this metaverse vision he has, it's this idea that this isn't just something that people are going to use for free or, or an idea where people are going to just buy games. The idea is that people will be able to sell experiences, items, and other kind of commerce systems within these titles. I do think that is such a rough takeaway, though, that for every dollar they make, they only get 53 cents. That's going to have to change in the future if they want to really incentivize creators. 
Yeah, it's interesting to think about the competitive ramifications of this move. The fact that there are two separate fees going to Meta uh, kind of opens up Meta to the the possibility of having this on another platform and kind of the ability for them to point to the similarity of those platform fees being the same. And then perhaps it gives them the advantage of one day down the road giving discounts or somehow changing the rules on the Meta platform. But right now they could theoretically run Horizon Worlds on Steam and it would be similar sorts of rates, I would think, to expect for the creators out there. One would be the platform hardware fee and then another Horizon Worlds fee on top of that. Well, Steam doesn't and, actually require you to use their payment system. So Valve does have a payment system through Steam, but you as a developer can use your own in-amp payment system. The problem is with platforms like Apple, you have to use their payment system and take that fee. But I think in many ways what this is, is Meta trying to protect itself from potential claims of anti-competitive behavior. Because if they were to waive the, the Oculus platform fee or the MetaQuest platform fee, as they would now call it, from Horizon Worlds, that would put something like Rekrum at a disadvantage. And then they open themselves up to saying, you're giving platform advantages to your own apps, which is something they've been called out in the past for with their movie rental against big screen, for example. And Daniel in our comments saying Meta is giving US customers a leg up in Horizon so they can start making money out of it before anyone in Europe. Heaney and I kind of joke about that a little bit because he is obviously uh, an ocean away and has not had access to Horizon Worlds. And I've had access to Horizon Worlds, but not a lot of reasons to go in there on a regular basis just yet. Although we've been talking about a few things internally. And James mentioning if this was interoperable, I would care. And that's a, a you know pretty key point there that it, there is no interoperability there. It's just on Rift and Quest right now, right? Yeah, and there's no interoperability between other platforms. You buy an item within Horizon Worlds and you can only use it within Horizon Worlds. Obviously, you know, with the NFT space and with other kind of markety concepts of the metaverse, there's a lot of talk about some potential far off future where you buy an item in one game and you can use it in others. But no one has really talked about how that would actually work from a concrete technological perspective, nor has any major game developer or publisher or studio talked about wanting to really support that in their titles. Maybe Meta will make it so that, you know, when you go between their first party titles or even just their Horizon systems, you can still use these items. What, what I do think that this commerce system is useful for, though, even if you do completely discount the idea of virtual items, is sort of what this screenshot seems to be alluding to, in that you can use this as a ticketing system. Because that's what people would really want to sell or really want to buy within these metaverse platforms. Say someone does make an experience that you want to go see, just like a lot of people currently do in VR chat and in Rec Room. Rather than just making that free, you could have the creator charge a very small fee. It could even be something like 50 cents just so that you can use their game in perpetuity by you know having this key that will unlock the door into it or that you can view their experience as a one-time thing. Say they were doing a live theater-like show where they have people as avatars coming in and acting out a show for you in a virtual space, like people are already doing in VR chat. That's something that you would want to be able to ticket for. So I am skeptical of buying items, but I am very bullish on the idea of buying tickets. That's a really great point. I have been to a couple experiences like that precisely in VR chat, and the ticketing sort of world access was a nightmare. And it, it definitely, if they can improve that user experience, there there's an avenue there for improvement that would be 
quite significant. And James also pointing out that Meta was pretty clear in their language here in calling this uh, testing. They obviously tested ads uh, or were about to test ads a while back and then immediately retracted given the community backlash that was swift and very loud. I, I heard a lot of people on Twitter responding to this rate that they shared with us and noting that it's kind of problematic. I'm also seeing in our comments people trying to compare it to what Roblox and uh, Rec Room are doing, Onikaze in particular mentioning that, and I was wondering it myself. I tried to get in there and uh, do the token conversion systems where you have to convert a $5 purchase to the most common number of tokens you're going to get to there. And then it was something like 250,000 tokens in Rec Room can be cashed out for $100. And then you're starting to compare, like, what what's a commodity in each of these platforms? Like, what like what is a, a decorated cake cost uh, in each of these worlds? How many tokens is it? And it just becomes really, really hard to compare these going rates. It's about, like, number of hours invested for something that's actually uh paying you on the other end is an equation we still haven't figured out yet heaney have you have you ever tried to sell anything on one of these platforms no i I haven't tried to sell something but i do think that's an interesting point in that i think this is the first of these platforms that is just using a direct dollar value in a lot of these platforms and a lot of games that you can kind of trade these tokens it is always this kind of abstracted token idea so as you say it is very hard to not only compare rates but even to figure out how much something costs in a lot of these platforms, because you have to do that kind of mental conversion from their tokens to how many dollars that would cost you. And obviously tokens are sold in different bundles where they actually, the cost of a token in dollars differs based on how many you buy. So, you know, if we're going to give meta props about at least one thing here, I would say that I like that they're just giving you a dollar value and that they're not trying to do this kind of intermediary token system that obfuscates the true price of things. Well, we'll see how this develops. I'm seeing people in our comments pointing out the kind of inevitability of NFTs invading this space, so to speak. And I know that is kind of a priority or something that's being considered uh, already with the Libra effort at, at Meta that I think had a false start there. And I would have every expectation that Meta is going to come back at the token system eventually and the question is how do they incentivize the billion plus people who use one of meta's platforms uh, especially facebook instagram how do they incentivize those people to use some kind of a tokening system for exchanges on their platforms yeah there was that recent report that came out that meta is working on what the employees have codenamed zuckbucks which is apparently so you talked about Libra. Apparently that concept has fallen through given the kind of regulatory resistance to it. But apparently they're working on a digital currency that isn't a cryptocurrency, but is a digital currency. And that's something that we've heard in recent years that a lot of central banks are working on as well. So it'll be interesting to see how these non-crypto digital currencies compete with cryptocurrencies and whether there's really a reason to use them when obviously there are just regular old fiat currencies in place yeah any comments there that we should respond to thank you everyone out there in our comments on akazi artful anthony james a lot of regulars out there thank you for the comments on akazi saying a fee just big enough to keep out the squeakers perhaps that is an interesting concept that you know you could get off certain experiences from children by making there be a small payment requirement because obviously you know when you 
go to purchase something here, it'll bring up your Oculus pin, which in most cases, I'm sure the children wouldn't know. That's a great point. Yeah. I wonder what the smallest amount is to trigger that sort of gate on some people and, and keep that out. Because I know that's that is one of the benefits right there of paid platforms is that it raises the, the bar of entry to people who really want to be in that particular space and, and try to accomplish something. Are we ready to move on to the next subject? Yeah, I think we can move on to AirBridge. Yeah, so this is kind of a big one here. Code referencing an unannounced D-Link DWA F18 VR AirBridge was discovered in the Oculus PC drivers by software engineer It's Caitlin03. The code suggests it is likely based on the DWA X1850. That's an existing Wi-Fi 6 USB 3.0 adapter. Heaney, you went and decompiled this code as well in the Oculus PC drivers. And I believe this code has since been updated. What did you find when you looked at the code yourself? So yeah, Caitlin told me where to look in the drivers and I used the same decompilation process and I was able to confirm that this was there. And at the time, this was earlier this week, obviously it was, sorry, it was last week. It was in the public test channel build of the Oculus PC software, but I opted out of that and find that it was not in the previous build. And as you've just mentioned, it was then removed in the current build, obviously after our article went up and after Kilton had already shared their findings. So it seems likely to me that this is something that is not has not been there for a while because it was obviously just added. So I don't think this was something that was worked on in the past and ignored. But obviously we need to point out that Meta and other companies like this work on concepts for new products and partnerships all the time and many of them never ship but if it does ship what this has the potential to do is to basically expand the the amount of people that can access high quality wireless pc vr because today obviously you can use virtual desktop or you can use airlink but if you have a router provided by your internet service provider that's you know three rooms down from you and there's like five or six brick walls in the way, or even if that router is closer, but it's just kind of low spec, or maybe your PC is connected via Wi-Fi rather than Ethernet, you're really not going to have a good experience there in many cases. And yes, you can go and you know get an access point to your room with Ethernet or use a power line adapter. But all of these ideas are things that you know enthusiasts are going to do, but regular old PC VR users that just want to try out you know, VR chat on PC or try out some of the titles like Skyrim or Half-Life Alex, they're not in many cases going to go to all that effort of setting up a whole new access point or router just for wireless VR. So if you could just plug in a USB adapter like this to your PC and have wireless VR that just works because it's short range and you're not your headset's not fighting the other devices on the network, it just has an exclusive connection, it could make this a lot easier for regular people. Now, there's obviously a disadvantage in that USB can be a very finicky standard and you could have issues with, you know, your USB controllers on your PC not being able to handle this kind of data. But I think that's something that people will be able to mitigate more than kind of reorganizing their entire home's networking system just for VR. Yeah, I, I went through that sort of discussion with uh, Guy Godin trying to understand whether I needed to get that kind of router back when uh, Quest 2 came out because I really wanted the best possible virtual desktop wireless VR experience. 
and I started plotting it out. I looked at the best possible router, and it's just such an extraordinary expense to go from the, I don't know, fifty to a hundred dollars. You can obviously get USB cables down to ten, fifteen dollars if you want a wired experience over a link connection to a Quest. But then going up to like the the high end USB router, it's, it's you know I can afford that. I think a lot of people can afford the sub $100 price range, but going up to four or $500 for a piece of hardware, a router in your house, that's, that's an extraordinary expense to have a great wireless experience. This should be somewhere in between, shouldn't it, Heaney? Yeah, so the dongle that this is based on, or at least that it seems to be based on in the code, it sells for around $60. I think it's something around that. So, Yes, the price would be a little bit more accessible. But again, I really don't think it's a matter of price. It's a matter of convenience because even if you do get that router, a Wi-Fi 6 access point or a Wi-Fi 6 router, unless your router is set up in right beside the VR space that you use, unless it's in the same room, you're still going to have that problem of the signal going through walls and being degraded. You're still going to have that problem of distance. You're still going to have that problem of other devices on your network congesting, and you'll have those little frame drops now and again. And then say you're a laptop VR user, you maybe want to move to a different room or you want to bring your laptop somewhere else to play VR or bring it to a friend's house, you would then have to kind of rely on their router. Whereas this is just a usb stick that goes in so it's really if you're an enthusiast i imagine you'll still be able to get a superior overall wireless experience by using a router that is connected via ethernet to your p to your pc you know you have ethernet all the way no wireless involved there except the headset itself but for the vast majority of people that's just not going to be practical and you know remember if you are using it three rooms away and you have to get this access point you have to find a way to get the ethernet there you can't just you know go wireless between the router and the access point because that'll introduce all the same problems on two hops rather than just one hop from the access point to the headset so the big question here is whether this is really going to happen and in April 2021, John Carmack, the consulting CTO of Meta, said, we may yet in the future make some extra Wi-Fi dongle or have some partnership with different firmware flashes for something that can let us get somewhat better performance in congested conditions. So that was a direct hint that this might happen. You know, he talks about a partnership here. As you mentioned, this is something that is not a meta product. It seems to be made by D-Link. So it seems likely that if this does happen, it will be D-Link hardware, but running meta firmware. Yeah, I'm seeing a couple of interesting comments here. One from Shala mentioning that whether or not wireless is the most important thing is going to be different for each person. I have a Quest 2 and then bought an index after it. And I think that's such a great, useful comment uh, because there are so many people that would n never even consider going wired after going wireless. And then there's other people who really want the the physics that a PC is going to provide and the comfort with those off-ear audio and just the incredible balance on that headset. All that together in a wired experience is a pretty powerful package, even though other people once they go wireless, they, they never want to ever see that tether again. So it's very different for people out there what they can kind of go for. And it, that'll always bring us back to kind of PSVR 2's discussion and the people that are developing it to various camps there with even Mark Zuckerberg himself hinting there 
that he doesn't think people are going to want a wired experience at this point in time, right, Heaney? Yeah, I think there's uh, an element of self-selection going on here in that if you're already a VR user who has bought VR in the era of wired headsets, you are by definition someone who is fine with wired headsets. But it's the people that didn't buy VR yet because they've been waiting for it to be wireless. You know, the PC gamers that said, you know, I'm kind of interested in this, but I'm going to wait for till it's wireless in a few years. I saw a lot of people saying that when the original Oculus Rift and HTC Vive launched. Those people haven't been in the conversation, so you don't see their opinion. But I think it's clear if you look at the fact that only 2% of PC gamers use VR headsets on Steam, that there is this wider market of people that are waiting on a variety of different things. You know, Some of them want a wider field of view. Some of them just want more games to support VR. But a, a huge chunk of them are just waiting for it to be wireless. And obviously, yes, there are going to be enthusiasts and tinkerers and people like that who want wired headsets so that they can get the maximum possible visual quality. Just like, you know, there are audiophiles who get the high-end speakers and headphones and have to have that. But it, that's always a niche market. The, I think it's pretty clear to say that the mass market is looking for a wireless solution. Yeah, I'm looking at the comments here. Lots of really interesting discussion about the people talking about their range of network configurations. Like, Heaney, we even, I remember us going back five years, sort of having discussions about what the electrical wiring in people's homes potentially not being up to the ability for a high powered PC to, to run off of their home's electrical. Like, I, I know in my own homes over the years, I've had to like, find which breaker it's it's actually going to support my particular pc rig and like it's funny everything needs to be controlled in a different way to have a high quality vr experience uh even from the electricity on down and now we are talking about uh wired internet and wireless uh local area networking all of it needs kind of the the best possible performance all the time and we just have uh, so many examples over the years of the way VR kind of tests all those existing paradigms. So Shala, Shala Alaska, again, pointing out that they think wireless will take over eventually in the next couple of years. But right now, the wireless quality isn't equal to wired in image quality, and nor does the Quest 2 support full, full body tracking. So if you're on a wireless headset, you can't get support for these extra things. I think that's a great point. But obviously, you know, as we've talked about before in this show, and as you're alluding to here, technologies that are on the near horizon like the six gigahertz wi-fi band will mean that we are pretty close to a future where you can get a great wireless vr experience and i think for a lot of people even if the image quality is 90 percent as good but it's wireless they're going to pick that over that extra 10 percent. and if you mm -hmm. have something like this that's in a short range and that isn't on a you know competing with other devices you can maintain a fairly high bandwidth connection between the PC and the headset. There's also some other news here to get into with Meta, where Meta has also announced it won't be hosting its F8 developer conference this year. So they're saving all the major updates for VR and AR developers until Connect later in the year. And that will lead us into some discussion about Meta's next VR headset after Quest 2 which we've got a very big subject to get into uh, there with lots of different things going on. Is there anything specific that you want to get into with the fact that Meta's conference is now Connect, right? At least in this year, I, I see it as a confirmation of uh, the idea that Facebook is 
little more than the Contacts app on Meta's future computing platform. And they don't have a lot of developer updates to give uh, a Contacts app, in my opinion. But hey, that's just my particular perspective. What do you think of this, Heaney? For anyone who's listening who's not familiar, Facebook, or now Meta, normally hosts two major conferences each year. There's F8, which is where they talk about Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Messenger. And then later in the year, there's Connect. used to be called Oculus Connect, where they talk about VR and AR and their kind of near-term product plans for it and their long-term research towards it. So this year, they've announced that they're not going to have that F8 one about their normal businesses, and they're just going to focus on Connect. And as I think you've saying, Ian, this is just a long-term pattern of the company shifting its focus away from those traditional businesses, which are either stagnating or slowly starting to decline towards its future business that it sees, you know, as it says, building the metaverse and releasing these VR and AR products. And this is going to be, you know, an important year for them where they are going to potentially announce Project Cambria. And that's something we can talk about now because this week there's been quite a lot of leaks or potential leaks about what this headset may really be. Yeah, the last bit here, people in our comments are sort of keying in on it as well, because that's kind of the natural next discussion here is basically that there are new claims from both an analyst and a YouTuber out there. I think we've had Bradley in our comments on this show once before, but people seem to be getting confused out there as to what the next headset is from Meta following Quest 2. So I was just in my local Walmart and they actually had both the Oculus Quest 2 sitting next to the Meta Quest 2. So the 256 gigabyte version of the headset was replaced with the new Meta branding and the smaller end headset, the 299 one, that was still on the previous Oculus branding. So they are still actively shipping out older device, like getting those devices out of inventory, selling them off and focusing on this new branding. And uh, basically we track all of this really, really closely, Heaney. It's one of the things we work hardest on. We pay very close attention to the claims out there. And when we're talking about headsets that aren't released yet, there's a lot of situations where The marketing may not be finalized. The feature set may not even be finalized. And the price is up in the air, right? It can shift hundreds of dollars at any given moment based on a number of factors. Can you run us through what we currently know about the next headset coming from Meta? After this rebrand thing is over, what should we expect? Okay, so Connect 2021 in October... Meta announced this year, 2022, they are releasing a high-end headset, a premium headset that will not replace Quest 2, that is not Quest 3, but is a higher-end alternative. And in the past, we saw leaks of looking into the Quest firmware that suggested that at least at some point, this thing was called Quest Pro. So what they did say at the time was that it will have high-resolution color pass-through for mixed reality, so not the low-resolution black and white that you see in the Quest 2. It will have a more compact design, as you can see in the image, thanks to the use of pancake lenses instead of Fresnel lenses, and those are already used in you know the HTC Vive Flow, which we talked about a few months ago in this show. 
that it will have eye tracking and face tracking to drive avatars in social VR. So right now, you know, my mouth is moving based on a machine learning model's estimation of what my microphone input suggests my mouth is doing. And my eyes are moving around the scene based on the fact that I, as the developer, have tagged different objects by their salience. So the camera that I'm looking at right now is tagged with the highest level of salience, and that's how I'm looking into the camera. But if I look at my hands, they're also tagged with a slightly lower level of salience. If you were to get face tracking and eye tracking, you would then be able to see exactly where someone is looking at. You'd be able to make eye contact. You'd be able to see their facial expressions, such as laughter or shock or any of those other kind of basic facial expressions. And obviously, the last thing they said is that we'll launch in 2022. So that's what we officially know. Now let's get on to what the reports or leaks or whatever one you call them suggest. So this week, supply chain analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, who we have talked about on this show in the past as reporting on Apple products, which is what he often does. He's known for successfully, in many cases, predicting Apple's moves, even sometimes multiple years in advance, has said that this thing will have 2160 by 2160 mini LED panels and dual element pancake lenses and will ship this year. So, but the interesting thing is that this information was actually released by Quo back in January. And at the time, we didn't pick up on it because realistically, we were very focused on covering CES and he had called it Oculus Quest 3. So we were kind of skeptical at the idea that this was really a true report. But this week, Quo has reiterated his claims of these 2160 by 2160 mini LED panels, but has also said that this headset will have facial expression tracking, and he has called it Oculus Quest 2 Pro. So what we have kind of ascertained based on this is that it's extremely unlikely that there are two Meta headsets coming out this year and Meta only decided to announce one and the core specs are all identical except one has a different name. So based on the fact that Quo has used two different, vastly different names in the past few months, the fact that the Oculus name is no longer used yet Quo is still using it means we have concluded that he is almost certainly talking about this headset, which Meta codenames Project Cambria. So if his report is to be believed, this headset will have that resolution and mini LED. And let's be clear, mini LED is not a new display technology. It's just LCD, except instead of one big backlight behind the color pixels, it's lots of little backlights, hundreds or thousands of little backlights. So if one side of, if one area you're looking at is very bright and the other area is dark, they can turn off the little LEDs in the dark area and keep them on in the bright area. And you get a kind of per man's OLED, an approximation of OLED for a cheaper price. We should also talk about the fact that last year, before Cambria was announced, and when we thought this thing was called Quest Pro, which it, it may still be, we don't know anything about the naming of this other than what Quo has claimed, that there were leaks about the exact specific specs. And one of them was obviously what you can see in the image is that the controllers, instead of having a tracking ring, have their own cameras. So they perform inside-out tracking just like the headset. The other is that this thing has cameras on the front that allow it to sorry it has two cameras at the front that are black and white that are used for tracking and one 4k camera in the center that is used for colorizing that and recently you know as ian was mentioning that youtuber bradley lynch has dug into the firmware 
in more detail and and kind of reconfirmed what was leaked back then. So that's what we know about this headset so far. There obviously is other speculation, but what is very clear here is that this is not a Quest 3. It is a pro headset with an unknown name that is slated to launch later this year. Quo's report suggests that it will launch in the second half. So that is somewhere between July and December. Mm, very good breakdown there. And I remember when we were looking over the initial renders of this headset that were put out there from Bradley and the 3D modeler that he partnered with, we're looking at the sensors in the middle. And it was clear that like there, there's a sensor suite some of some kind there, but it we couldn't that that kind of path of that information getting to us couldn't make it clear that like was that exactly the way the sensor suite is laid out or is it a guess and what we've got here is the one public image that meta has put out there basically purposefully right here heenies this is officially from them yeah this is the only official image we have this is the one from meta and i'll just cast up uh what ian's referring to is the renders that were produced this week in that Bradley Lynch claimed that he had a source, a friend, as he describes it, who has access to this unit. I think that most likely is a developer with a kit because we know from Meta that development kits are out there. There's very few other people on the planet who would have one of these other than these developers. Uh, So he said that he was shown pictures of these on an app that prevents screenshots and that, you know, he wouldn't screenshot anyway because that wasn't something the source was comfortable with. And then he worked with a product designer who you know normally makes 3D models of things like this to recreate what he saw based on his memory and just today you know he's noted that he actually thinks that the the front here is incorrect that this was you know not actually what's going to be shipping in Cambria but what's clear is that the general design here is likely to be accurate in that it looks pretty much almost identical to the official image meta put out anyway and it also looks remarkably similar to the 3D model we saw last year. You know, that's something I didn't mention there in that around the same time we got those detailed spec leaks, we also heard, we also saw a YouTuber, Basti564, find an actual texture for this device within the Quest firmware and recreated it into a 3D model. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people have been basing it on. So, you know, we don't need to really worry too much about the accuracy of Bradley's render because it essentially matches what we already saw over the past six months anyway. One of the things I've been sort of joking on my Twitter about is my local Bentonville Walmart here is about to have drone delivery. And I was looking it up and the Quest 2 box is four pounds, but the drone delivery system tops out at three pounds. So it won't deliver at least this particular drone and and delivery system won't deliver a package that's more than three pounds and i'm wondering here is this headset going to be small enough at the end of the day to actually ship is is that package actually going to be shippable by drone most absurd use for a drone ever because you know why can't you just go down and drive to the store and get it but i i do remember over time like the physical size of these packages has to get smaller in order for them to ship them in in larger quantities to more places. Reducing those shipping costs down over time does enable sort of ridiculous things like that, where you could put tens of thousands of devices on a plane very quickly versus having to ship them over in containers over an ocean. 
And all of those things can change over time if the boxes get smaller. Heaney, do you think this is going to be a smaller box than Quest 2? That's that's what I want to know. So the headset is obviously certainly smaller. But one of the things we saw in the leaks uh, last year was that this thing comes with a dock that the controllers and headset both slot into to charge. So whereas Quest 2, you're using these AA batteries to kind of put into the controllers and replace them. With this they are recharged with an internal battery. So I think when you include that dock, it's but it's likely that this package will actually be bigger simply because the Quest 2 <laughs> simply because the Quest 2 is minimal. And you have to realize also this thing has a solid strap built in. It it resembles the Quest 2 Elite strap, but the Quest 2 doesn't come without Elite strap. If the Quest 2 did come with the Elite strap, the packaging would likely be a lot larger than it is. But the Quest 2 box was actually one of the smallest VR headset boxes I can remember receiving at any point. It's it's very, very compact simply because they went with that soft strap by default. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, we, we, people get kind of so obsessed with the language and the marketing here and sort of what's the right steps for Meta at any given moment, right? We have Meta executives, or at least uh, I think John Carmack, who I don't know what whether you call him an executive now. He's a consultant more than anything. But I think he's on the record basically suggesting that it's either him or Bosworth suggesting that Quest 2 is going to be on the market for a very long time. And a lot of people get kind of obsessed with this idea of there being a high-end version of what we just had, whereas this particular you know, new, this new headset design is going to let them try out sensors that they may want to bring to a lower-cost device over time but whether that's actually achievable at the same prices is is kind of an unknown right now the one thing that we do know is going to change the low-end price of vr is when they can actually ship the headset without controllers and once you have no controllers then you get something that's almost the ray-ban stories box which is you know that's this small and i could imagine them shipping me a pair of camera glasses by drone, but it's going to take them actually having to like leave the controllers behind for the packages to get that small. I think, Heaney. Yeah. So on screen right now is that 3D model I was talking about from last year in that, you know, this was our first kind of all aspect look at the headset. This is the one that was found by Basti within the Quest firmware and he was able to reconstruct it. This is obviously going to be a high end headset and people have thrown around price expectations, but I think, you know, we're, it's very unlikely that this thing is going to be less than $600. And in my view, it's going to be somewhere north of that, $700, $800, maybe even $1,000. But obviously that open question is, when can they get these core technologies into a cheaper product? It seems that this is essentially going to be a test case for some of the technologies that will make it into a real Quest 3 eventually. But if Quest 3 is coming next year, as many speculate, and it would seem to make sense of a three-year cycle and that Mark Zuckerberg kind of hinted at when he said our next version next year in an interview earlier this year. It does seem like they're going to have to be choosy about which technologies come across. These controllers with their onboard inside-out tracking, I think are fairly unlikely to come to the low-cost model for quite a while. The pancake lenses we know are quite expensive, so that I think that's unlikely. But if you look at what Zuckerberg's talked about, I think we could... And again, this is very heavy speculation. We're talking about an unannounced product that may or may not exist next year. 
I think they really will likely want to bring face and eye tracking to Quest 3, and they will want to try and improve the processing power because those are the two kind of things that really drive forward what they're looking to do. They want a, you know, a more immersive experience that brings across your facial expression. So for now, this can, and maybe color pass-through as well. In fact, probably very likely color pass-through because dev- developers are going to be using this headset to make mixed reality applications. So they're going to want to eventually have an actual audience to sell those mixed reality experiences to because right now, using those through the grainy black and white cameras of the Quest 2 is just not a great experience. Yeah, I think we'll probably get into it next week. My discussion that I had with Jerry Ellsworth over there at Tilt 5, talking about kind of the limitations of video pass-through and at least from her particular perspective, how it differs from the direct optics where you can see the environment with AR stuff layered on. And it was a very interesting discussion to hear uh, her discuss that kind of content always feeling a little off or uncanny. And I, I still have yet to use a ton of pass-through. We've had uh, developers in our studio here a couple times here where they're letting you set up custom pass-through windows for various areas around your environment. But I haven't used any of those features for really long lengths of time. And I, I'll be curious how dramatically it's going to be improved just by a better sensor suite on there than when we have out of the Quest 2. It's really hard for me to fathom that right now. Well, it's certainly a low-hanging fruit at the moment. You know, if you're using... The cameras in the Quest 2 were never designed for mixed reality. They were never designed for pass-through even. Pass-through was just originally something that was used to set up the Guardian space. And then obviously in the past six months, Meta's released the ability for developers to actually use that in a mixed reality sense. But it's still not a great experience. You don't want to spend any long amount of time in there. But if they really can deliver on what they're promising here in that it's full color and it's higher resolution and it feels kind of 3D and it's not distorted, this is going to be as much a mixed reality headset as it is a virtual reality headset. And, you know, a lot of people in the comments uh, pointing out when we're talking about Cambria in that it doesn't look like there's any facial interface on the side. So you would have an incredible amount of light light leak from the real world. That's something that you really don't mind for mixed reality. And in fact, it's actually preferable to seeing just blackness around you. You can see the real world directly with your eyes and your peripheral vision. It's a big open question as to whether Cambria will have some sort of attachable magnetic facial interface for VR mode, or will this be a product that is actually mostly designed for AR, for mixed reality? Because one of the things um, Bradley Lynch's source claimed that they had tried this headset only in VR mode. And they said, it's actually not that much different from Quest 2, other than, you know, the obvious difference of the form factor of this being a smaller and lighter and better uh, weight balanced headset. There's not going to really be a fundamental difference in using Cambria for a VR game versus using Quest 2 for a VR game. But it is mixed reality where these headsets are going to be vastly, vastly different. And it's not going to even be in the same league. So I do wonder how much this will be marketed for VR versus mixed reality. Yeah, the the reason I focus so much on the drone sort of aspect of this is because I see the VR headset as a replacement for so many things in the physical world. And over the next decade or two, Meta really wants to be a major consumer electronics company. And companies like Apple, they're looking at cars as their future avenues for growth. So there's this comment from Zuckerberg that it's 
easier to move bits than atoms. Well, the one thing that Meta is going to have to move in the future is going to be physical headsets into homes. And I think it's just going to be a long, long process here over the next decade of removing all of the barriers to getting you the headset that fits your particular face very comfortably as fast as they possibly can. And we we talk about this all the time, Heaney, like what is the right route for them to go into the future? When do they introduce monthly payment plans? And what do you get for those monthly payment plans? Do you always get the latest uh, Quest Pro uh, if you're on a certain plan? Or do you uh, yeah, how does this work? But it's it's you know, Meta is trying to catch up to uh, a machine that has built out over at Google and Apple to get people a new device every one to two years, and everything is getting taken care of for you from getting a box shipped to your front door that you put your old device in. And then as soon as it's examined by uh, the company, you get a credit to your account and you get a dramatically cheaper device. That's what Meta is competing with. And drone delivery is going to be part of those those plans eventually, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, not to mention all the things that once uh, you've got the headset in your home, as you're starting to use it for more tasks, the only things you need to get delivered to your home are what? Food and, and future VR headsets. Jeez, that seems like a strangely dystopian <laughs> vision of just food and VR. I what don't was know, the book where America still led with uh, pizza delivery drivers in the future? That was one of those books, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that seems to be a recurring theme in Snow Crash and in Ready Player One, where you have the drone delivery there. I hope we don't get to a future where people are entirely living in VR. I've I've always kind of said that VR's real potential and you know the healthy potential is to replace the current remote communication technologies, you know, video calling and playing disembodied games, not to replace being in person, which, you know, I think we're decades, if ever, off being able to really emulate in virtual environments. So Jamie wrote an editorial recently pointing out the importance of Meta's gaming showcase. So that's coming up at 10 a.m. Pacific time on April 20th. And that's going to kind of outline one of the missing pieces for Meta's strategy, right? There isn't a good picture of what the games coming to this platform are going to be. We've heard a couple of things, but we don't have a really good detail. Uh, and then so that kind of bookends the year, at least for Meta, right? We can expect Connect late in the year. And then we've got this gaming showcase coming up soon. And between those two events, we should have a very clear path from Meta, at least, for the next steps of their AR and VR glasses. People pointing out the book I was referring to as Snow Crash. The Tilt 5 discussion is going to be a fun one to get into, where I, I talked to Jerry Ellsworth over there at Tilt 5 for about an hour. And quite an interesting company there. If you haven't actually tried a Tilt 5, I recommend getting your hands on one if they're ever at a conference nearby. It's a fascinating attempt at AR and they're solving some problems that other devices really can't solve. And we'll have a rundown of some of those things in next week's show as soon as I can parse through all of those discussions I've got from Jerry. But Tilt 5 has very big ambitions. They don't want to be just this tabletop gaming company that they're focused on being right now. And down the line, it's going to be a lot more. 
Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reporter over there claims that iOS 16 betas are chock full of references. That's his quote, chock full of references to Apple's upcoming headset. So he's saying that iOS 16 is referencing also interactions with the iPhone. That's kind of a significant bit of detail there, if that actually comes to fruition. Uh, Heaney, what what can you say about the latest rumors about Apple's device? Yeah, so there's not something really substantial here. All that Bloomberg is reporting is that, as you say, these iOS 16 betas, the beta for the next version of the iPhone operating system, is chocked full of references. And, you know, that is quite a key term in that it seems to be very common in that it's referenced in a lot of the code. This sort of suggests what a lot of people have been suspecting and that in typical Apple fashion, this is not going to be some siloed device that doesn't work with the Apple ecosystem, but it will be a integral part of the ecosystem and you'll be able to, you know, use your iPhone as an input method, maybe even your iPad or your Mac. And there'll be some sort of kind of, I hate to use this word, but synergy between having this headset on and using your other Apple devices. And it's unclear, is this just going to be something about bringing the content from your iPhone into a kind of virtual view so you can kind of cast up uh, video apps into a much larger virtual screen? Or is it going to be something more involved where the iPhone is actually the control input method? Could it even be what a report last year suggested? that the iPhone is even required to use this headset and that it is so integral to controlling it that you need it. Because one of the things we have not heard from this headset in any report is any mention of motion controllers. Pretty much every virtual reality or augmented reality system today, with the exception of HoloLens, has these kind of gaming-like controllers that are essentially you know, a gamepad split into two, one for each hand. But the only report we've heard about some sort of controller for Apple is that there will be some sort of finger ring that you put on that you can kind of click your fingers together and get a kind of haptic experience there, or that it might work with the Apple stylus so that you can write on kind of uh, tables or walls or other kind of flat surfaces and have it represented in AR. And I do think that that input method question is still by far the biggest open question about the Apple headset. So it's really interesting to see that iOS 16 is so full of references to it. Mm. Yeah, there's two features that have been rolling out in the latest versions of Apple software. There is the SharePlay, which lets you share certain content that you have access to remotely with uh, someone. So I was like, I was at an airport recently sitting in uh, the terminal waiting for a flight that was like a six-hour overlay. And I was able to watch videos using SharePlay synced up with someone who was 1,500 miles away. And every time I paused the video or they paused the video, it paused via the person. We had an audio chat the whole time. Fantastic experience for the most part after I got it working. I had to like log in to two different versions, like the Paramount Plus app, in order to get that up and running. But by and large, it worked. It was not great from an Apple perspective, but it was better than I've had out of other experiences like this. SharePlay is one technology. And then there's the universal control feature where you can have a mouse and you could have the mouse move from an iPad to a computer screen with absolutely no sort of 
user configuration at all. You just it just automatically the mouse knows to move from one computing platform to the other. And I think about that being applied to the real world, Heaney, and what an AR or a VR glasses could add to that, where we have so much information floating around us at all times that just never makes it into our computer systems. And the ability for that to kind of get sucked into this universal control system would be an enormous uh, advantage for Apple. It's like what they can uniquely provide at the end of the day. Do you think that's going to make it? We're going to start seeing more of that sort of thing in iOS 16? Yeah, I do think they have a huge potential for it because Apple always likes to play to its strengths, which, you know, makes sense. And its strength really is that ecosystem integration. The fact that, you know, if you have... If you have an iPhone and a Mac and an iPad and AirPods and an Apple Watch, as someone who personally, I, you know, I don't have any of these products, or at least, you know, I have maybe one of them I use occasionally. I've used, I've seen friends use them and I've tried them out. And the integration between these things is just sublime. It's unlike any other ecosystem, especially if you're someone that uses a Windows PC and an Android phone and maybe a Samsung watch and, you know, maybe someone else's earphones. The, that, the, the loss of integration there is something you don't even notice how much you miss it until you try it for the first time. And, you know, if we talk, take this back to VR and AR, when you're using a Quest, there's this complete detachment from the, your phone. You have, you know, you get notifications now in VR. You get kind of the ability to use your PC's screen through apps like Virtual Desktop and apps like Immersed. But there's still this real detachment between the core experience of using these devices and if you could really bring that all together in a headset and make it cohesive and make it actually flow there is this potential to make something that people are going to actually want to integrate into their lives and use every day far more than something like a quest 2 one of the interesting things though about this being in ios 16 as uh, bloomberg points out is that that kind of does suggest that this headset will launch during the iOS 16 cycle, as they say, which is any time from September this year to September this year, roughly based on Apple's usual time for releasing these iOS updates. And that comes in line with what we've heard from other reports. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, who we were talking about in the context, context of Cambria earlier, saying that it will release in the second half, late in the second half of this year. You have the information saying that. And then you had Bloomberg a little while ago saying that that may happen, but that they suspect that it's being delayed into the first half of 2023. But altogether, this is, you know, it, many people have mocked the fact that in years past, there's always this idea of, oh, next year, Apple will come out with a headset or, oh, it's 2020 and now it's 2021 and now it's 2022. But, you know, I've been following this for that entire time and never has there been such agreement between all these sources and such certainty and such a specific and such kind of references in Apple's products to this being a real thing. And, you know, as we talked about before in this show, Reality OS, the expected operating system that this thing will run, ROS, has now been found in all sorts of contexts, like in the App Store upload system, it's present in some of the existing iOS SDK uh code it's present there does look to be a lot of hints here that apple is really truly going to release something within the next 12 months this time although obviously as you know we should always point out it's possible that last minute delays will cause this thing to never 
ship in any time soon. It's also possible that the current supply chain situation could get worse. And we do know that in the past, Apple has brought products all the way up to release and at the very last minute decided that it just wasn't up to their standards. Though, personally, I don't think that's true of this. I really do think that this thing is coming this time for real. <laughs> and definitely people in our comments, like Daniel Leeper joking that it was it was this year until this year came around, and then at the end of this year, it'll be next year, which is kind of the way these things get teased. You know, you, you've got to remember... And we repeat this all the time, but we've got to remember Apple is, of all the companies out there, the most willing to stop themselves until they think they can add something significant to a particular computing platform, right? So iPod, iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, they haven't launched a whole lot of new product categories over the years. And they have various experiments that they've tried out or product categories they've ended wireless routers and they had a home pod before the home pod apple hi-fi uh hi-fi i think yeah something like that before they actually got the home pad minis and you know they're always in search of finding the right prices where they can move a very significant number of units and we just always have to reiterate if this device doesn't meet their minimum threshold for uh how long you going to enjoy your time with it they're they're probably not going to ship it so yeah we could be here every year for the next 10 years uh, saying apple's going to ship next year right maybe but again i i do think that whereas in the past all of these ideas were just kind of vague predictions from you know quote unquote thought leaders and vague analysts this time it seems a lot more real you know we have reliable supply chain sources we have the code being found in ios we have you know rumors of developers having access to this thing you have bloomberg talking about you know the specific issues that apple's running into in trying to get this thing out there i i would again you know we can't say anything with certainty and you know apple hasn't even confirmed that it's working on this headset but it does seem to be more real this time than before and it does look like this is going to be a low volume product at first in that all of the reports so far are suggesting this thing is going to be priced somewhere between $1,000 and $3,000. But it does look like this is going to bridge a gap between standalone and PC VR that nothing else really does so far in that you know the, the reports suggest that this is going to have a MacBook level chip. It's going to have dual 4K OLED micro displays. And it's going to be uh, thinner and lighter than Quest 2 by hundreds of grams. So if Apple really can pull all that off, this is going to be a remarkable product and potentially you know, introduce something to the industry that we just haven't seen yet. Even Cambria can't do it because Meta is still limited by the use of Qualcomm chips. It can't do what Apple does in producing these extremely high performance yet extremely efficient chips that apple has been working on in the background for now over a decade but he you had you had a really funny line that actually I, I laughed out loud while i was reading your article where you pointed out that apple is getting apparently the bottleneck right now is heat from the size of the chip that they're using in these glasses so uh you, you left it at sort of that being potentially what's kind of doing them in right now is they pick the wrong class of 
chip to use in a, a new form factor that really needs to have a, a different power associated with it. And that would be kind of incredible if that causes Apple to miss its target by a couple of years. Uh, I, I, that's a, that would be a blunder of a proportion I can't really think about, like like get a new CEO type blunder. Yeah, that is what Bloomberg's report earlier this year suggested, that one of the main holdups for this thing is overheating. And it does look like Apple is being incredibly, what's the word here, that they're aiming very high, that they are being very ambitious with this product. They, As you say, Apple wants to bring a unique aspect to this. They don't want to just release a fancier Quest 2. They want to release something that can actually deliver an entirely different level of experience. And that seems to be using a MacBook processor. As I have been saying since that report came out, it's very surprising to me that they don't use their A-series chips that go in the iPhone. To me, something that is this size that sits on your face seems like it would be, you know, more more suitable for an A-series chip that uses less power, that generates less heat. Because even in Apple's pro iPhones that cost, you know, $1,300 or whatever for the highest end model, they don't use the M1 chip. They don't use their MacBook and iPad Pro chips because it doesn't have the size to dissipate the heat. The surface area on the back just is not large enough. And yet somehow they're going to use it in this. Obviously, the rumor suggests there's going to be a cooling fan. But even then, you know, the Quest 2 uses a smartphone tier processor. It doesn't use a tablet or laptop tier processor. And that's a very intentional decision. And Meta actually learned this the hard way themselves in that the Gear VR was a product that was almost crippled by overheating. In many experiences, you know, that Samsung Gear VR where you slotted your phone in the front, it in many cases, you would get maybe five or 10 minutes into a heavy experience and it would come up with this message, your headset is overheated, please take it off and wait for it to cool down. And even with Oculus Go, their first standalone headset, where they talked about you know the advantages of having the standalone and that you can do this larger heat sink, they still had an overheating issue with it in that you could still have this experience where maybe half an hour, an hour in to an intense experience, you would get that overheating warning. And it was only with Oculus Quest, which was kind of you know their third iteration of mobile VR after Gear VR and Go that that Facebook now Meta finally got their overheating act together. So it is possible that when product designers and engineers come to this class of product, they just underestimate the thermal requirements of because these products are not like phones. It's not where you're doing these kind of short and fast bursts of intense activity and then the processor sitting on idle for a lot of the time as you're, you know, scrolling or texting or whatever. These are constantly rendering a high detail 3D environment at a high frame rate and handling input and handling all of the different camera sensors and trying to fuse on. that all together. And a lot of the time, these processors are running at almost max clock rate to try and get this to happen. And you cannot get away with an insufficient cooling system if you're going to deliver a product like that. Yeah, and your face is super sensitive to the heat too. It's like your your body is built for letting heat off the top of your head and then you're putting this heat generating device right next to it so you're you're super sensitive to any heat changes there and it's going to have dramatic effects on 
air conditioning and things like that certain months of the year if people start using a lot of these devices and they increase your temperature just by a couple degrees i'm seeing some really uh funny comments here bicycles comment that they should use liquid cooling and call it apple juice i'm sorry that was a good dad joke and i thought i i should acknowledge it in our podcast you're doing Kyle's <laughs> um, work yeah uh the the other thing that i thought was interesting is uh jack's comment here saying apple's interest is in the replacement to the smartphone the only thing that could be more ubiquitous than a computer in everyone's pocket is a computer on everyone's face and i love that in comparison what we're talking about we're like if i'm using a a phone in my hand and it gets kind of hot all i got to do is change the way i'm holding it right give a little bit more air to the back side of the phone maybe if i'm shooting 4k video or something and i don't want to get sweaty hands you can't exactly do that with a computer strapped to your face so it's a completely different level of challenge and that comment about the interest apple has in a market larger than the iphone is a a really key one but a, a theme in our sort of show week to week uh and it was a comment that was left by someone earlier in our show that AR and VR devices may diverge for a long time because you can't get all of the benefits of one class of device kind of matched up in the other class of device. And one of those things that's going to be impossible to do for a really long time is augment 110 plus degrees of your field of vision anywhere you go in full sunlight, right? That's gonna, that's something we have not seen, even on the drawing board. And for that reason, we're going to have these differing devices. And that's why it becomes such a kind of critical, haunting, dramatic issue. When does Apple choose to actually enter this market, right? If they choose the wrong year, it could have profound implications for who's leading in the next generation of computing. If they, pr- if they pick the right year, then they're one of the key players in the next generation of computing, or p- perhaps the same one as the iPhone, right? They could be the leader. But if, if not, they could be trailing Meta and Microsoft, couldn't they, Heaney? Yeah, so I think when it comes to this device, the headset, they're not looking to replace the iPhone even in the short term. The, the, the potential of a headset like this is to replace your laptop, you replace your MacBook, and to replace your TV. Or at least if you're someone who lives alone or in some sort of shared accommodation to replace your TV or even give you a TV that you didn't have before. Obviously, it's, you know, if the family TV is a different concept, but it's replacing these devices that you use in your home. The glasses is a separate product. According to all the reports, Apple plans to eventually years after this release glasses maybe in the second half of this decade that's where they're going to start looking at replacing your iphone or replacing the other devices that you would carry around with you portably but the potential here is that instead of having this little kind of 13 inch screen that you carry around with you and hunch over and stare down at or and then you know if you want to plug it into these thousand dollar monitors you can make your own little kind of studio setup 
you could have this all in a portable headset in that you just put the headset on and you're surrounded by the monitors you want. Maybe, you know, if there's some sort of integration with macOS, you can have your macOS software floating in front of you. You connect your Apple Magic Keyboard and your workspace is there. It's all contained within the headset and it's infinite and configurable exactly how you want, wherever you want. But obviously, you know, because this thing is opaque on the front, because you're not seeing the world really through by direct light, you're seeing it through cameras. This isn't something that you're going to be able to walk down the street with. It's not something you're going to be able to, you know, bring around with you in general use in the same way you do a smartphone. But this is going to be a stepping stone to that potential future where glasses can start to replace the more portable devices in your life. But I really Based on the pricing estimate we're seeing here and based on the specs that Apple's going here, I wonder if this is more an extension of their Mac business than it is an extension of their iOS business. Mm, That's a really interesting way of framing it because it kind of shapes the expectations out there for the market size that they're going for, right? They hit it out of the park with iPhone and accessed a market that was way larger than anything they had been able to get to before. And kind of expecting every new product from Apple to access that larger market is maybe unfair to their efforts. Lots of really good comments, though. Uh, I, I The thing that I've sort of joked with you, Heaney, right, right, where I want to be able to grab a video or a movie from one device and throw it to another screen. And it's one of the things I want here in, in our studio, even Heaney, where we've got some of these rudimentary features where, like, I could have a little grid of movies and videos or uh, photos and videos up here on the screen. I want to be able to physically grab them and put them on other devices. And I want that same kind of interface for all the written text in my house, right? Where if there's a piece of paper in front of me, I want to be able to look at it and then virtually grab that piece of paper, right? And have a copy of it in my hand that I could email, send off to friends, assign virtually, and then have it, it shipped off. I Apple has so much potential here. It's just a real question of whether they're going to be able to reach it. Oh, what a great image to pull up. Can you explain what's on that image? Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite images in our entire archive where, you know, it's from Oculus Connect 5 a few years ago where it really kind of goes into why they and, and why we on this show and at Upload VR for years have been talking about the fact that these devices are going to be very separate. You often hear people talking about, oh, Apple is releasing glasses, but it's not. It's releasing a headset, what you see on the left here. It's releasing the kind of thing you're going to use in your home, whereas the glasses, the things that you're going to be wearing outside are likely years off and going to be a distinct product, not a mode of this product. In the same way that you today have your phone and you have your computer or laptop, or you know, for some people, a tablet, in the future, there's no reason that these devices are going to be the same simply because the engineering goals of them are so radically different that to make one try and do the purpose of the other would make it so inferior to a dedicated device that it simply won't be able to run the same kind of content or perform the same kind of function that you're looking for. And I think that is what we're going to see from Apple. This is, we're not going to see one line of products. We're going to see headsets and glasses. And as I've said many times in this show, and I think people are probably going to get bored of me saying this, I think that the word VR is going to get taken out of this. And over time, you're just going to say headset because so much of what we use these headsets for will be mixed reality that calling it a VR headset won't really make much sense anymore. 
Mm, yeah, I remember the debate over smartphone. I went through the sort of evolution of having to call uh, smartphones anything with a keyboard attached to your phone functionality. And obviously, iPhone came out and just made it phone, right? We called all phones phones. And eventually, the phones that used to be called smartphones became dumb because they couldn't run apps. We've got the Ray-Ban stories out there, and I know Apple can put market-leading cameras in a pair of glasses, but I, I don't know if they can build the whole user interface around that without a really great display technology attached, right? Anytime we see anyone attach a display technology to these glasses, it's either a super slim field of view or the battery doesn't last very long. I don't know how that changes over the time scale of even five to 10 years. Yeah, I think it's just a law of physics problem. You can always, when you have more space in the device on the left, you know, the headset, there's simply more space to dissipate heat. There's more space to put a more advanced display system in with a wider field of view. There's more space for a, a longer battery that can be used to power a more powerful processor. So even if these devices, these glasses start to get better and better, that just means that these devices, headsets are going to be able to do more again. And again, in the same way that your smartphone has not replaced your laptop or your tablet or your PC, simply because of those simple laws of physics and that you cannot put a processor in there that is going to be able to run for the same amount of time and the same amount of performance as these larger devices, this seems like the most probable future. Well, maybe down the line at some point, hybrid devices come along that offer a kind of balance between the two and you know still let you see through to the real world and something you could use to walk down the street maybe but it doesn't seem like it's going to be something that people use for serious work or for the most immersive experiences which are still going to require a headset like this that has the space for it are you saying that glasses and headsets are the laptops and desktops of the future is that what we're in for no i'm saying that glasses are the phones and Headsets are the tablets and PCs. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I could see that evolution happening. We ready to move on to the last subject? Any comments you want to respond to there? Clayman asks, why do they have to look like glasses? Glasses are small enough and see-through enough to wear in the real world. Uh, maybe fashion trends will change to the point where you can put something on that makes you look like a cyborg in the future, but... It's, it still seems unlikely that from, from a purely practical perspective that you'll be able to wear something that's bulky and doesn't let you really see the real world. Because if you're in one of these headsets and it feels, you know, it runs out of battery or it crashes, you see darkness, complete and utter darkness. You're walking down the street and you're going to have to drop everything you're holding, take the headset off and put it away. When one of these feels, it just becomes a regular pair of glasses. The battery runs out, it crashes, you still just see the real world. You can just keep walking on and wait for the system to reboot or go home and put them uh, on the charge. It still functions. That, that ability to really see through to the real world is both the Achilles heel of these systems and that it always limits the display technology they can use, but it's also the reason that they are practical to use in the real world it's the reason you can just step on a bus with your shopping in hand with one of these on and whereas you just can't trust one of these things to do that in any near-term sense 
Yeah, I'm seeing people in our comments talk about Pfizer. We also got Guy Godin from Virtual Desktop tuning in. Guy, if you want to drop any fire into our comments about your thoughts on the AirLink dongle, we will read that out on the show. But yeah, Pfizer, the thing that's funny about Pfizer is it fits into my sort of the future I want, right? Jordy's Pfizer, where he's actually a blind character but has more enhanced vision than everyone else on the crew because of the visor is another one of those models to think about for the future. And I, I love that. But I also wonder if uh, visor is like the, the fashion trend of the 80s, those little golf hats. That That's all I think of when I think of the word visor. And I wonder if those weird little hats kind of killed that word off entirely for fashion purposes. I don't know. It's interesting to think what sort of middle ground devices there could be. Should we move on to Pico, our final topic? Pico standalone VR headset maker is teasing a special announcement for April 13th. That's a day after this podcast recording. So we should have details next week. That stream is at 9.05 a.m. Eastern time or 6 Pacific time. Hini, can you bring us up? Uh, what's the latest on Pico? Well, firstly, let's just talk about their announcement today, which is seemingly unrelated to their big special announcement tomorrow. This this announcement today is, is smaller, and we'll you know we'll just very quickly cover it. And it is just that you can now buy, and when I say you, I mean businesses, because Pico only sells to business in the West. A bundle that includes an Ultra Leap uh, hand tracking sensor attached to the front. So. This is sold in, this will be sold in Europe for 999 euros and is essentially the Pico Neo 3 Pro headset with the UltraLeap software pre-installed and a special mount to attach the sensor to the front. So this is, this means that businesses that want to have really high quality hand tracking on a standalone headset can now access that through Pico. And yeah, again, if anyone's not familiar with Pico, they're at, they're the Chinese startup that actually were the first to launch a standalone headset. A lot of people don't know this, but they launched a standalone headset called the Pico Goblin a year before the Oculus Go. And in many ways, it was similar to the Oculus Go. It, you know, it was a three degrees of freedom rotational tracking headset with a rotational tracking laser pointer controller that used a Qualcomm chip. I think it used the Snapdragon. 820, which was it's just one little revision below the goes. But you know, last year they were bought by ByteDance, the company behind TikTok. It seems since then they're kind of trying to scale up their plans. But right now they still only sell to businesses in the West. But to, they are teasing for tomorrow a special event where they're going to make a big announcement. And a lot of people have speculated that this could be. Pico deciding to start selling to consumers in the West. We do not have any information as to whether that speculation is accurate or not, but it's hard to imagine what other big announcement they could be making. It could be one of those things, you know, like some of HTC's announcement where it's hyped up to be something big and it ends up to be something very minor. But given that, you know, ByteDance, this company behind TikTok, has bought this startup, given that Last month, we've heard that they are partnering with Qualcomm in the same way that Qualcomm has partnered with Meta to work on future devices and to you know expand the ecosystem. It does seem possible that Pico could be planning to actually directly compete with Quest. And that would be the first real competition to Quest 2 that we have seen so far. 
you, you know, you can argue that some things are kind of tangentially competing with Quest 2, but there's nothing so far that is standalone, sold anywhere near Quest's price and has the same feature set. And one of the interesting things about this is that this Pico Neo 3 is actually remarkably similar to Quest 2 and its hardware. It, in fact, it rolls off the exact same factory. And, you know, if you weren't familiar with uh, Quest, you could even mistake a Pico for a Quest. You know, I'll bring up an image here of what it looks like without that, that Ultra Leap sensor that is part of that special bundle. It has got the same cameras in the same position. It's got very similar Wait, looking controllers. Amy, that's not a circle. That's not a circle on the controllers. It's a slightly different shape indeed. And it has a, you know, it has a little <laughs> vent here. It has its USB port up there. It's, oh, it's a wholly different product. But yeah, realistically, it's it's a Quest 2 clone with Pico's <laughs> software. And, you know, I got to actually use this when I was over visiting Jamie in Sheffield. And even the software is in very, very heavily inspired by Quest 2 software. So if this does end up being a consumer announcement people are going to finally have an alternative and it's interesting this announcement is being made in europe in in france specifically because germany a country of 90 million people actually blocked quest 2 seals or you know the language around there depends on how you interpret it quest 2 is not sold in germany due to regulatory restrictions that may or may (laughs) not be around the requirement to use a facebook account so that could be an entire huge market of, of you know, wealthy consumers. Germany is a very high-income country that would then have this thing in their store shelves, but not the Quest 2. But again, I want to be crystal clear. We don't know what Pico's announcement is tomorrow, and it could be something a lot less significant. Yeah, I'd be really curious what price they attach to that efforts. We obviously have previous companies, HTC, that have tried to go head-to-head against meta facebook and were priced right right out of there google didn't even enter the market against what quest uh, was going to become and it's hard for me to imagine even if the devices look similar if it's any amount more it becomes hard to justify the purchase because i'm seeing the comments brought up of just the library right meta has invested in the content library to give you very valid reasons to go in there and get a quest and even if you matched everything else that is the one thing that pico is not going to be able to match kind of overnight they may have a few developers that choose to launch on pico and ignore quest but it's not going to be a significant number of them and then you've obviously got the exclusive products that meta has went and purchased that are going to be available on the meta headset You've got to somehow match the price and then also convince not just buyers, but that you're like making some kind of a moral right decision in buying this headset over the meta headset. If you're really going to try to also sell them software products at the end of the day. So, yeah, that is the big factor here. If Pico really does want to compete with meta and I should say ByteDance, then it is going to have to pour billions of dollars into content. But ByteDance is not some small company. ByteDance is a massive Chinese tech giant that makes billions of dollars equivalent of profits. They do have the capital to, to compete with Meta if they really want to. And TikTok is obviously a goldmine for them. You know, they are already competing with Meta in its traditional businesses. There may even be an incentive because of that to decide to compete with Meta in its new AR, VR business to decide that, you know, 
are we going to just keep chipping away at Meta's conventional business while Meta leapfrogs us into the next era? That could be a worry of some ByteDance executives. The fact that Quest 2's content is now, you know, OpenXR, that OpenXR is the default uh, API for building Quest content that it's supported means that it is going to be a lot easier. And I, I don't mean easy, I just mean easier than it was in the past for developers to bring their content to this Pico store if they want to, if this does become a consumer venture. So yes, Meta will still have its, its exclusives, you know, Beat Saber, Population One, Vader Immortal, all of those kind of things and all of the content that they fund. But for the devs that aren't exclusive to Meta, for the developers that are free to release where they want, if this thing can be released at a sensible price and ByteDance again does have the capital to, to subsidize it and, the, and consumers start to buy it, there's no reason that the developer wouldn't want to support this. And especially developers that have a kind of wider interest in the VR market and seeing competition will want to see this. Now, obviously... You know, as we've said before in this show, if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to buy a Quest 2 because Meta's behind it, it's hard for me to understand why you'd want to buy a Pico headset given ByteDance's, uh, given these strong allegations of ByteDance's close connections with the Chinese government and potentially some of their contracts around some of the sketchier things that the Chinese government is using technology for. But, you know, if you're in Germany and you can't buy a Quest 2, and you can buy this thing and you're just, you just want to buy the technology. You're not interested in kind of the companies behind it. That's a potentially big market. And if Pico can integrate this with TikTok, if you can go live to TikTok with your avatar and, you know, have a stream of what you're playing in the same kind of sense that we've seen some of the quest to mixed reality stuff start to happen, that's a potentially huge marketing avenue. And that's something that, you know, TikTok has the attention of the younger generation far more than Instagram or Facebook does. So there's just, there's a lot of potential here for this to actually be a true competitor. And I understand people's concerns. And, you know, I understand that people are skeptical. But if ByteDance wants to, it really could put in the investment to actually directly compete with Meta. Yeah, so I think a couple of the things to keep an eye out for in those announcements, right? You know, they could announce whatever they want, and people in our comments are guessing that uh, another YouTube channel out there has been previewing this particular headset. That might be what what those teases are. But we've got to keep an eye out for real money <coughs> being thrown at devs to get them to bring that content to this headset. It's got to be a significant uh, a significant amount of significant developers brought here, and they could do it. Uh, and then Geek Odin, uh, the developer of Virtual Desktop, in our comments saying, FYI, I am looking into supporting the Neo 3. Can't make any promises, as it will depend on Pico's work supporting OpenXR. The other comments that uh, Guy, I, I basically reached out to him uh, when we broke the news about the, the AirBridge. We started writing about that. Uh, I asked him for his thoughts, and he said, I don't know. At first glance, it sounds like a terrible idea to add USB controller quality into the equation, but perhaps it doesn't matter too much at around 100 megabits per second. I have lots of questions like, would it work without the Windows hotspot feature? Will it configure itself automatically? Will it work outside of AirLink? We won't have those answers until it releases, most likely. 
So one of the interesting things about this Pico headset, and you know, people are talking about that MRTV has teased a video in the past day that may be this Pico headset in Steam VR mode. One of the things he said was, oh, look at the quality here. This isn't something you can achieve on Quest 2. So one of the actual key hardware differences is that this thing has a native DisplayPort input. So unlike Oculus Link, where it goes through USB and it's obviously heavily compressed, this thing can actually act as a direct wired PC headset with a display port, just like a HTC Vive or a Reverb G2 would. So that is something that, you know, if you're interested in a wired headset, that's an advantage. Though I will say that, you know, again, I tried this headset in England when I was over there, and there are some disadvantages compared to Quest 2. The tracking quality isn't quite as good. The lenses, I find, have a lot more peripheral distortion. You know, I'm looking around right now in a Quest 2, and everything looks geometrically stable. The walls do not shift as I look around. When I kind of move my head, everything looks stable. I didn't get that on the Pico Neo 2. And obviously, it doesn't have controller-free hand tracking, what I'm using right now, which is why we talked about before that they're you know, using a, a partnership bundle for businesses with UltraLeap tracking, which is, let's be clear, higher quality than the Quest 2 tracking significantly but that's not something that's going to be built into this headset so other than those minor hardware differences it still is going to come down to the content but it is interesting how pico can add their own kind of flair to this potentially yeah people talking about hot dogs horseshoes and hand grenades i would not expect that on a standalone system of any kind even if it wasn't meta that's a product that enjoys and loves the playground provided by the power of PC hardware. So desktop class graphics and desktop class CPU is that game's bread and butter. So I would not expect that on anything mobile. Just going to reply to James O'Loughlin. You were asking, is UltraLeap as good on mobile? Yes, I tried it at CES this year in January on mobile. It was on, it was the same kind of attachment you saw on the Pico, but attached to a Vive Focus 3. It was excellent. The quality of UltraLeap hand tracking is leaps and bounds beyond quest 2 but again remember that's an add-on for businesses for this headset it's not something that's built in though it is something that will be on links the other potential i guess we have to say is that there is a potential possibility and again there's absolutely no basis behind this but it's just something i would point out that maybe if pico is going to launch to western markets it won't be this headset it may be its next headset and it could even go beyond quest 2 because quest 2 is coming up on you know it's a year and a half old now maybe within you know within six months it's going to be two years old so maybe pico could even be trying to leapfrog them but i do think that's unlikely given that this is still being sold to businesses given that this is still getting software updates and given that you know we have announced future bundles of this headset but yeah it's it's really if it really is and again i want to be crystal clear that we do not know what pico is announcing tomorrow and it could be something completely separate to what we're speculating about here but if it really is a consumer entry this is going to change the vr market more than anything since quest yeah i think that's it for our week i can't wait to see what tiktok uh has to announce there thank you so much for the time today you can send information or questions to us via email to tips at uploadvr.com we record this live in front of a youtube audience on the upload vr channel on tuesdays at 10 a.m pacific time we'll have the thursday games cast as well and we publish the audio of the vr download to all major podcast platforms and encourage you to share the links to our work 
because we're trying to reach all the people learning about high quality VR for the first time, and we could use your help. Thank you so much for the time this week, and we'll see you in the future. Thanks so much. Sorry again that I couldn't see your comments at the end. Thanks, everyone. Oh, you blame the developer, Heaney. Oh, wait. That guy.